Why don't you go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and go to Exodus chapter uh, 10 this morning. Exodus chapter, sorry, Exodus chapter 9 this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a copy into your hands. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, for sure, throw your hand up. Grab one of these. Take Testament, Exodus chapter 9. As you're turning there, it was uh, C.S. Lewis who said this. He said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. He says he shouts in our pain. And C.S. Lewis says this, it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, when circumstances press in on our lives, it's usually in those moments that, that God is speaking so loudly, right? But it, it's also in those moments where, where we feel the pressure of the circumstances that are difficult, the darkness and the, that, that might be growing, and it's in those moments of deepening darkness that we cry out, God, what are you doing? And we're desperate for, for purpose. We're desperate for meaning in those hard times. And, and we know that sometimes, in tough times, what it is, God's pressing in in his, his mercy and his love, but he's pressing in as discipline. And he's, he's coming against us and saying, hey, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. I want to turn you. And, and you know you're in that place, right, when, when you're, you're going in the wrong path, where your heart is grown cold where you're not in a great place between you and the Lord spiritually or with other people and God presses in and you, you feel the weight of that as he's pulling away those foundations that we're building horizontally and God's saying, no, 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 those aren't foundations for life and he begins to press in on those and, and we can feel that. But whether it's God's discipline or not, here's what we know. In the midst of hard times, when, when things seem to be deepening in the darkness, God is speaking. God is pressing in, in his love, in his mercy. God is, is at work in hard times to humble us because 1 Peter 5, 5, right? It says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and, and God steps in in our life, often in those, those sovereignly designed troubles. And in those moments, there's this common thread that's happening where God is reminding us in the midst of that, that trouble, in the midst of the, the deep darkness, he's reminding us, hey, I am God and you are not. I mean, those struggles, they drive us to ask that question, who is my God, right? In the midst of when, when things are hard, we start, we start to press against, and the, and the question's being asked, who's actually God? Who's in control? Who's in charge? Who gets the worship? Who sets the rules? And then here in Exodus, God is speaking louder and louder and louder as each plague is unrolled on Pharaoh, as God's saying, I'm going to redeem my people, but he's doing more than that. In the book of Exodus, God is setting his people free, but he's also at work in these plagues to humble Pharaoh. Happens that way in our lives a lot of times too, doesn't it? Where God steps in and both humbles and rescues and so as we unpack more of Exodus this morning as we're walking through this book together verse by verse, we're going to see God pressing in on Pharaoh's heart. But as we're looking at that, as we're seeing God press on Pharaoh's heart with these, these tough times, this darkness that's coming on the land of Egypt, here's what I want us to, to look at. This is not just a story about Pharaoh. It's a, it's a story about God. And what is God saying to Pharaoh? But, but for this morning, what's God saying to us? I, I believe you're here for a purpose. 
It's, it's not just a coincidence that you rolled in on this Sunday morning as we're unpacking Exodus 9 and 10, but God has you here for a reason. So here's my question. What is God saying to you today? Maybe even right now in the quiet of your heart before we jump into the word together, that you would even, you would even pray this, God, God, whatever you have for me today, I'm listening. God, whatever you want to speak to me this morning, my heart is open to hear it. God, speak. So jump into chapter 9 here and continuing on these plagues. We, we covered four plagues last week, last Sunday, and we're going to jump into some more this Sunday. Look at, look at chapter 9. We see this plague of, of livestock being wiped out. Chapter 9 starts in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field and the horses and the donkeys and the camels and the herds and the floods. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord shall set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing, and the livestock, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. He's like, I don't, I don't trust him, man. Somebody go check it out. Are their livestock still alive? But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, it says, and he did not let the people go. So Moses comes in again to Pharaoh, just like he had been, and he, he comes in and he says, hey, hey, God is speaking to you, Pharaoh, and he's saying, let my people go that they can serve me, that they can worship me. And, and, and it's in that moment, we see over and over again this battle, and it's really a battle of Pharaoh's heart. The heart of the problem for Pharaoh is this. God says, let my people go so they worship me and serve me. And Pharaoh's saying, no, they're mine, God. Those people are mine. They're, they're going to serve me. They're going to worship me. And, and Pharaoh believes he's the one who's worthy. Really, it's this competition. Pharaoh's saying, I'm God. And God's stepping in over and over and over again in each plague to say so clearly, no, Pharaoh, I am God. You are not. And the plagues are getting worse. They're, they're moving more and more into chaos and into destruction. In fact, look at verse 3 again. It says that it's the hand of God that is coming. Behold the, the finger of God. I don't know whether, is it getting more? Now remember when the, when the gnats were unleashed, the magician said, oh, this is the finger of God. I don't know whether, is it getting more harsh from a finger to a hand? Right? I, I don't know, but I do know this. When you read through the Old Testament, what it often says when it talks with the hand of the Lord, it's talking about judgment. That God's bringing judgment down here pressure and judgment on the, the people of Egypt. And, and you notice the judgment only falls on Egypt. God's now separating. He's now making a distinction saying, no, these people, these are my people. And my judgment's not being poured on them, but it's being poured on you. And this plague is disastrous to Pharaoh. Now, as, as Muskokans living in 2020, we look at this plague, and go, eh, so some cows died. Meh, Whatever. Right? We, we, we may not get how, how devastating this is, but if, but if you were to ask, maybe a, even today, I'm not saying go back in time, but if you were to ask a family from one of the countries in Africa, the, these countries where, where I was just reading about this this week, where when a, a guy wants to marry a girl, 
He has to go and give a dowry to the girl's parents, and he, and he has to pay something to them to be able to marry the, their daughter. And I have three daughters, so I am looking for a church in Africa right now to move to pastor there. No, I'm not really. Um, what they would do, though, what they, the dowry they would pay in so many African countries are cows. And you would give a certain number of cows for the, the, to the family of the girl you wanted to marry. I'm even wondering, like, well, what it's like to be a wife in one of these countries. Like, do you brag about how many cows you're worth? I don't know. I'm a 10-cow girl, you know? Right? I don't, I don't know if that, that's how they roll. But, but why, why would they give cows and not cash? Because cows have huge value. They're used for transportation. They're used to haul carts or plow fields. The, the cow patties, the waste of a cow, is used in a lot of places to burn for fuel, to cook with. They give milk. They reproduce themselves. So, so you have two cows, you get more cows, right? And ultimately, if they die, they, you can eat them, use their meat, and so, so a cow then, I mean, it's, it's your bus, it's your pickup truck, right? It's your fuel, it's your milk, it's your food. It reproduces itself. So you can see how, how losing all of your livestock is devastating to the Egyptians. And, and the crazy thing is the Israelites are free from this. So, so what God's actually doing is he's turning the, the power upside down. So, so now you have these slaves who are powerless. They get to keep all their prosperity and security and livelihood, and the Egyptians are wiped out. Not only that, but this plague, like, like the others, <coughs> was an attack against one of the Egyptian gods. There's a god called, called Hathor, and she was a, a god with a, a female body, but the, the head of a cow with these horns, and, and in between the horns is the, this sun, and they believed that, that that god, God Hathor, controlled the skies, but also gave fertility to their crops, their people, their animals. And so God's hitting at the, the Egyptians. He's, he's hitting at both their livelihood and their security, but he's also hitting at their worldview, saying, I'm going after these gods. You think these gods are in control? No, I am God. I am God alone. God's in control. He even controls the timing. He goes, here's what it's going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to do this. He sets the time. He controls the extent of his judgment. He says, it's falling on you guys, but not on these guys. He's God alone. Now, just a side note before we go, in case it stands out to you, verse 6 says that all the livestock of the Egyptians died. Now, you're going to notice because we're covering a bunch of plagues this morning, we're going to hit the plague of hail. And when God is about to send that plague, he says, hey, hey, Egyptians, make sure you get your livestock and your servants out of the fields. Because if they're out in the fields, when the hail comes, they'll be killed by this hail. It's a serious hailstorm. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What livestock? I thought all the livestock were wiped out. Now, you have to understand this word all in Hebrew, you, you take it in context in the, in the Hebrew language, it, it can mean all, but oftentimes it's an emotional word, not a, a literal word. What do I mean by that? I mean, we do the same thing in English. We say things like, man, everybody comes to Muskoka in the summer. Everybody. No, everybody. It feels like it though, right? Right? Feeling every, right? As a pastor, I, I get this one now after being in years in ministry when someone comes up and says, hey, just so you know, everybody's really upset about what's going on in our church. And I've learned everybody in that case means three people. Like that's what I've learned, right? We, we use these phrases. So, so when they say all the livestock, it's, it's all kinds of their livestock, all manner of livestock. You can imagine it this way. The Egyptians are saying, we're completely wiped out. We've lost everything. Disobedience was becoming very costly. 
Yeah, frogs are hard. Flies are hard. But this plague would have impact for generations. As they lost their livelihood, that they would pass down to their kids. Listen, our sin and our pride can be so far reaching, so further than we think it's going to go the implications of it. And yet what happens? God shows how strong he is as God in his judgment. But look at chapter seven though. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. God steps it up a bit. Continues on in chapter nine, the sixth plague now, the plague of boils. Look at verse eight. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw it in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become fine dust over the Egypt. So, so there's something kind of unique going on here. You'll, you'll notice that in some of these plagues, God's actually turning some things on Pharaoh. Remember the Nile, he turns to blood. Well, what did Pharaoh use the Nile for just before that? He'd use that when, when he had killed all the, the babies under two who are is babies of Israel. And he, he throws them into the Nile. It's almost like God saying, oh, really? You want a Nile of blood? I'll give you a Nile of blood. And then later on, what's, what's, what's Pharaoh do? He says, oh, you guys want to leave? It's because you're lazy. Now I want you to make more bricks with these kilns. You're going to make more bricks than normal, but you've got to get your own straw, right? More bricks, less straw. And God then uses the very kiln to turn it on Pharaoh. Moses grabs the soot, throws it into the air. Verse 10, so they took the soot from the kiln, stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. You see, here's what's going on here in this plague. All the other plagues, they, they kind of happened around the Egyptians, but now they're really feeling it. This is now a plague directly on the Egyptians, these painful, painful sores, so painful that, that the magicians, remember, they kept coming into the court whenever Moses would come in to, to pronounce, hey, let my people go. The magicians would show up kind of saying, hey, we're pretty powerful too. And, and now with these boils, even the magicians are, are phoning in sick, right? Like, we can't make it, Pharaoh. You got to deal with them. We got these boils, man. They are so painful. We're not going to... No matter how powerful you think you are, these plagues make the powerful helpless and powerless before an almighty God. And again, God's speaking so loudly here. There's, there's more going on than just boils because in this culture, if you had some sort of skin disease, it would be thought of as you not being religiously pure. You see that carry on right in the New Testament, people with leprosy, right? They, they were considered impure. Why? Because they've got a skin disease. And so, so what happens? God pours out this disease, these boils on all the Egyptians who thought they were so superior, and the lowly slaves don't get them. Again, God's showing his power here. But again, Moses, hardened heart, not listening. God speaks louder. God speaks louder. The seventh plague, the plague of hail. They're getting more and more intense as we go. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. 
Now that phrase there, I will send all my plagues on yourself, that could be also translated on your heart. Here's what God's saying to Pharaoh. Hey, hey, these next plagues are going to hit you deeply. They are going to hit you deep into your heart. This is not just a, an outside kind of thing. No, no, these are going to weigh heavy on you. You're about to be shaken, Pharaoh. This is going to strike deep inside of you. Verse 15, it goes on. For by now I could have put my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You're still exalting yourself against my people, and I will, and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, Now therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. God's about to pour out more judgment on Pharaoh. He starts, though, by saying, hey, Pharaoh, I could have wiped you out. I would have been just in doing so. I am powerful enough to do so. I could have just stepped in and taken you out, but, but I have mercy on you. In my mercy, I'm long-suffering with you. For us here this morning, listen, never assume that because you're receiving God's mercy that God's okay with sin. I mean, his mercy's on display every time he gives us grace. I mean, think about it. Think about every time you don't get from God what you deserve, that's mercy and grace. I mean, think about how, how, how amazing. Isn't, isn't it amazing when you think about the grace of God? When you think of your past week and, and how your week went and the sin that would have been in that week, is it not amazing to think about the grace of God? I mean, if it isn't amazing, you're, you're either unbelievably perfect or you need to be amazed at God's grace over you not, not telling the truth this morning, right? Like, God's grace is unbelievable. God is merciful, even in his judgment. Even in his judgment, he, he warns them, listen, I'm about to pour out more judgment, but let me show you some mercy as I'm doing this. He, he says, hey, get your livestock and your people out. And what, what happens? Some people listen to the warning. Look at verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but field. Servant of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So we're starting to see a distinction now. It started with this distinction between the, the Egyptians and the Israelites. Now it's a distinction between the proud and the humble. You have everybody now being split into, even amongst the Egyptians, there are those who are saying, man, we fear this God. If he says it's going to happen, man, we know it's about to happen. And you start to see this distinction now. Those who fear the Lord, those who don't. Those who are humble, those who are proud. Now we can read through these plagues, and as you're reading through them, I don't know if you're like me, but you can kind of read through those and think, man, Pharaoh, why are you such a doughhead? Don't you get this? Like, why would anybody leave their livestock out by the time you come to the seventh plague? Don't you think that God's been serious for the other six? And yet people are, like, you're going to leave them out? You're not going to listen to what God says? And then I look at my own life. And how many times has God pressed in on you? How many times has God pressed in on me? And I've said no to God. 
How about you? See, I'm not going to forgive that person. I know God's called me to it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to let go of this anger. I'm not going to calm my anger down. I'm not going to stop gossiping. I'm not going to be generous. I'm not going to follow what Scripture calls me to do. (coughs) And our pride bows up against God, doesn't it? And and we do things. We excuse things. We avoid God. Things that we know that God so clearly is speaking to us. And it's not like we haven't heard the voice of God. It's not like we haven't read his word. And and yet what do we do? We grow harder and harder towards this voice. And how often I look more like Pharaoh than I want to admit. Look at verse 22 of chapter Chapter 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that they may be, there may be hail in the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant in the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. This storm hits, and again, again, God displaying his power. You can see it ramping up. You can see it getting more and more chaotic, more and more powerful. God's power unleashed. And I don't know if you've ever been in a huge storm, and you have that real feeling of smallness. Do you not get that? That that feeling in your gut when you see a a massive storm roll in. I I remember when I used to lead a a wilderness school and and Pastor Eric, I'd taken him on a, he was a student at the time and we'd gone on this this, uh, three-week whitewater trip down in Arkansas on the Buffalo National River and we're camped along the side of the river with these huge 300-foot bluffs on either side of the river and we're camped at this river and, and a storm rolls in and we found out later it was actually tornadoes that had come in and ripped down the river. Somehow it missed our campsite, but I mean, it was dark. It was windy. The sky looked angry that day, right? And I mean, it was raining and then hail starts coming down and so much so, such a huge storm that right now, and Eric will blame me for this, if you've got like a dog that when storms come, they hide under the bed, that's Pastor Eric now because of that day, right? He is deathly afraid of storms and lightning comes and he's under the covers, right? Why? Because storms are powerful, are they not? In fact, in Egypt, weather was viewed as the voice of the gods. So they would see this as total judgment being poured out on them. In fact, verse 31, look what it says. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax in the bud. I mean, it's ruining the crops that have grown up. The crops that they would have been ready to to reap in and celebrate. What a great harvest we have. And then all of a sudden, God steps in and goes, no, I'm wiping this out. And it looks like with this display of God's power that Pharaoh's heart finally turns. He finally breaks. He finally hears God. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. 
the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Sounds like a heart of repentance, does it not? I have sinned. My people have sinned. God is right. I am wrong. What we're about to see, though, is that Pharaoh is not truly repenting. This is not what you call godly sorrow. It's worldly sorrow. What's Pharaoh actually upset about? He's upset about the consequences of his sin. He's not actually upset about his sin. How do we know this? Because as soon as Moses steps in, he goes, okay, the storm will be gone. There's peace, storm gone. And right away again, verse 30, so the heart of Pharaoh, 35, sorry, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go. He's feeling the effects of his disobedience. He wants the effects to stop so badly. But listen, a true broken heart of repentance is shown when you're broken and humble no matter the consequences. That when God pours out blessing, you're still broken and humble. That, that you're, you're, you're more broken about sinning against a holy, loving repentance, God, than you are about the consequences that it brings. That's brokenness. That's repentance because you care about his name and his fame. The pressure's relieved. Pharaoh's true heart is shown again, and Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting you go. So chapter 10, the eighth plague comes. Comes as locust. And again, the heat is turned up. The chaos is getting more. Destruction is continuing. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Why? Why is, what's, what's God saying? This will be talked about for generations. Why? So that you may know that I am the Lord. And that's the battle. That's the fight going on. That's the struggle happening. The heart problem of, of Pharaoh, our heart problem here is the same heart problem. This heart of sin that, that'll stop us from repentance, that'll stop us from coming to Christ is that we stay in pride. No, I'm God. No, I, I'm not that bad. No, no, I, I don't have sin in my life. I don't need a savior. No, no, you wanna talk about sin, man. Go check out my neighbor, man. That person's so, so caught, but I, I'm okay. And we stay clinging so tightly. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I've got this. Listen, until a person comes to a point where they're done with themselves, until you get to that place where say, you say, you are God and I am not, listen, there is no hope. No amount of counseling, listen, no amount of counseling, no amount of time in the Word, no amount of reading, no amount of prayer will change you until you come to that place of, God, you are God, I am not. Counseling's not going to turn you around. It's not going to turn you around until you get to the place where you say, I'm done fighting, I'm done running, I'm done refusing to submit, I'm done pushing against you, God. And listen, when you're humbled to that place, you are placing yourself on the pathway of grace. God's blessing then comes. God's rescue then comes. He steps in in that moment and says, I'm redeeming you now. The locusts are, are going to be bad. Look at verse 4. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. 
and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. It's going to be bad. Verse 7, look what happens. Before the locusts are unleashed, Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Talking about Moses, how long is this guy going to be after us? He says, let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not un- yet understand that Egypt is ruined? You got to see what's happening here. You now have Pharaoh's servants stepping up to him saying, Pharaoh, are you nuts? Look around you. Now, now think about what's going on there. This is a servant saying to a Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of the land. He was like a god is what he thought he was. And now servants, how are they getting the courage to go, Pharaoh? Because they're seeing who God is. They're fearing God. And with a, a fear of the true God, you, you have way less fear of everybody else, right? I mean, if, if you're fearful of man, if you're fearful of people, it's when you see that God is God that we stop fearing people. In fact, I would say this. These servants of Pharaoh are becoming agents of grace to Pharaoh. They're now speaking the word of God to Pharaoh. And and here's the grace that you can see in here. And I would say this, this is something, what you see happening with with Pharaoh's servants and him, it's something that I think that would, it, it makes a church that really loves the gospel, a church that understands grace, this is something that makes a gospel soaked church so different from just a place you go on a Sunday morning, hear something, go home. It's it's this this place where you recognize, humbly recognize, I've got blind spots. And so I'm going to allow people to step into my life. We would call them here intentionally invasive relationships. Like I'm purposely setting myself in place. I'm purposely going into a small group, not because it's just another thing we do at our church, but no, I'm putting myself in that small group here in this church because I'm allowing people to see into my life, see who I am, see how I do family, see how I do marriage, see how I do school, see how I do work, and they're going to get to know me. Why? So they can have this intentionally invasive relationship with me, and they can come into my life when I've got blind spots to say, hey, are you seeing clearly right now? Galatians 6.1 says that if, if anyone is caught in sin, now the word caught doesn't mean like you've caught them. Ha! I see your sin. It means caught, like you're snared by it, right? You're drowning in sin. Anyone who is drowning, caught in sin, it calls the rest of us to come alongside to rescue. I mean, this is huge. If you think about it, I would say this. I'm convinced that confronting each other, that, that, that stepping into each other's lives is probably one of the most neglected components of what makes a church a safe church to be in and a church that's growing in grace and growing in the gospel. We need to step into each other's lives. We need to be open to have people step into our lives because if you're walking by the Spirit, if you're following Christ and you see a brother or sister drowning in their sin, you come alongside to restore. In Galatians 6, it says we gently restore each other. What are you doing? You're rescuing. The big pointed finger to say, hey, look, at no, you're coming in to gently, what are you doing? You're rescuing. It's about love. It's how we love each other. 
We're not a, a bunch of little Pharisees with junior Holy Spirit badges running around pointing out each other's sin. No, we're coming out of love to care for each other. I love that it even say this, as it says in 1 Peter 4.8, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. So, so even in that, because we're doing it out of love, when you see one of your, your brothers or sisters here in the church and, 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 and you see them doing something, you're like, man, that seems out of character for them. That a love can cover some sins. You don't have to point out every single sin you see, right? You can go, you know what, that, that, that seems out of place for them. I, I think, man, they're probably just having a tough day. I'm going to pray for them. I don't need to confront everything. But if you see a pattern of sin, and you recognize something going on in that person's life, a person who you, you do life with, and you're saying, man, I think they're being ensnared by this. This permeates every day. It's a trap for them. What do we do? We lovingly engage. In fact, I would say this. If, if, if we'd be a church where no one ever did that, where you never pursued each other, you never stepped into each other's lives, there's no community in that church. There's no love in that church. And so with humility, with gentleness, we look out for each other. We step into each other's lives. And, and here's the thing. As you're being a servant to a pharaoh, listen, if you're the pharaoh in that story, you have an opportunity as well here. If someone who you know who loves you steps in to say, hey, can I talk to you about something? You, are, you have a choice to bow up like pharaoh or be humble. How often, though, do we bow up, Right? And someone says, hey, I just want to see, point out something. I'm just seeing this in your life. And we immediately disregard it. Yeah, whatever. You're totally wrong. Man, they miss that. It, maybe they were a little off. But here's what I would say. If someone had the courage to graciously and gently come alongside you, may, maybe in that moment you would just say, you know what? I'm going to take this to the Lord. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to search my heart about this. Because I want to hear what you have to say. I think another way we can bow up when we're approached, when somebody comes alongside of us, is, is here's what happens a lot of times. We immediately go to other people we know who will support us because we want to kind of build up the troops, right? We want to kind of raise up the defense attorneys for us. And so we go to people and, and someone points out sin and you go to them and you go, you know what? Martha said I've got an anger problem and my language isn't, isn't very good. I, I think she's just oversensitive. She was probably homeschooled. I think that's the problem, Right? Right? And we, we think of every excuse to say, no, they're, they're probably wrong. Listen, listen, we need to find brave, godly brothers and sisters who will speak truth into our lives, gently but truthfully. Amen. And when that time comes, when someone speaks into our life, if, if that person who takes you out for a cup of coffee and say, I'm worried about you. Can, can I point something out to you? Let's be the, the kind of people who are humble enough to let that happen. To see that God may use broken people to show us where we're broken, to call us to our only hope. Let's be humbly courageous to do this. Let's be humble to receive this. All right, well, the locusts step in here, and they do some serious damage. They absolutely wreck the place. Look at verse 16 of chapter 10 and see Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron. You imagine he's like, ah, the crops, the only ones we have left, and these locusts are taking them out. Come quick, Moses. And he says again, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. 
Again, false repentance might seem so true. He says all the right words. The reality of his heart, though, is seen again because as soon, again, as soon as the pressure's off, Pharaoh refused to let the people go. God is so clearly sending a message to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not listening. So God then takes it to this ninth plague. It's the final warning before the ultimate plague will come. And this one comes without any warning. God making a clear statement as he brings in the plague of darkness. Now again, God is going up against one of the gods of Egypt, the god of of Re or Ra, and this is the god of the sun, and God stepping in saying, no, no, I'm in charge. I'm in control. Look at verse 21. When you you think about the kind of darkness this is, the depth of this darkness, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Listen, a darkness to be felt. What kind of darkness is that? Do you actually feel the darkness? This is a a darkness that brings fear. Listen, we're we're a bunch of adults here. Remember back when you were a kid. If you're a kid here, you don't have to remember back that far, right? When when you were in that place where it all of a sudden went completely dark. The power went out, and it's a dark home, and the fear that comes in, right? The the loneliness, the nervousness, how every sound now sounds scary to you, and that's what's happening here. They're in this, this place of isolation and helplessness in this darkness, I mean, look at the weight of this plague. Look, look at verse 22. So Moses says, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So what's going on here? Again, you see the distinction. The, the Israelites, they're okay. But you, you sense the weight of this darkness? They don't even get up. They don't even talk to each other. This is a deep Darkness, life in Egypt fully stops. People isolated, people cut off. Listen, a a hard heart, a heart of pride, a heart where we push against God. Maybe you're there right now and you're feeling this deep darkness. Alone, isolated. Listen, in the midst of the depth of that darkness, it is God speaking so loudly, so clearly, saying, turn around, come home. Once again, Pharaoh tries to broker a deal, does not listen to the voice of God. Look at verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Now, why is he saying this? He lost all his, right? He said, you guys can go, but leave your prosperity with us. Moses refuses. Verse 25, Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Pharaoh's heart gets hard again, and look what it takes him to. Look at verse 27. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. Verse 28, then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you you say, 
I will not see your face again. Pharaoh is enraged now. This, this hard heart, when we have a hard heart coming against God, listen, this is where it always ends up. You end up bitter and angry, not willing to let God be God. We have a couple of choices when deep darkness comes, when pain comes into our life. We can either be broken by that pain in humility or in pride. We can become bitter. Pharaoh becomes bitter. Not willing to let God be God, left only with his anger and his bitterness. Listen, there's one path out of that place of bitterness and anger. There's one door of freedom. I've said this before. There's only one door to approach God. It just happens to be a very low door where we get low, we get humble. What is God saying in these plagues? Let me ask you this. What's God saying in your life? Can you see God pressing in in the, in the same way you see happening here with Pharaoh? Can, can, can you feel where God's been pushing on your heart? Maybe you could even say, man, I'll give you a list of the plagues that I've experienced. Where God, in his, listen, in his mercy and in his grace, he's pressing in on you and he's, he's, he's going after your heart. He's looking to wake you up from your running away, from pouring into these idols, from, from a life leading to destruction. And God's pressing in on you saying, I'm not letting this happen. And you feel the plagues. What's God saying? Listen, what he's saying in this text, what he's saying to us, he's saying this, I am God, you are not. He's saying there's, there's nothing more glorious than my glory. There's nothing more, more worthy of honor and worship and obedience than him. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing better for us than to worship and enjoy God forever. And so God stepping in and saying, I am supreme it's not, it's not that it's, it's just right and true that God is supreme. Listen, if, if ultimate joy is found in him and him alone, then it's the most loving thing for him to do, to press in on our hearts saying, don't go after that. I'm God. I'm supreme. I'm where you find your joy. And it's so good for God to step in to remind us that he's above everything. And so when difficulties press in, we remember that God, you are God. And there's no rival. There's nothing like you. No one like you. Anything that draws me away to, from my heart to worship anything else is, is an offense to God. It's, listen, it's treason to the one and only true king worthy of my heart. But God also recognizes he's doing this because he's, he's rescuing us from a life that would be meaningless, a life without satisfaction. Why? Because we're pursuing all these other things saying, this is what's going to bring me hope. Man, I just need, I need to pursue people. And if I get these people in my life, then I'll be okay. And God sends a plague on the relationship. I'm going to work hard to, to look better, to, to be a, just a different kind of looking person. Then people will respect me and God's pressing in on that. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll buy more things and try to feel more important that way. I'll, I'll use substances to, to try to suppress the pain. At the end of the day, what's missing in all of those pursuits, it's nice. His thrill, it's that we're, our, our seeking for joy is misplaced. His supremacy, his glory is the ultimate thing that is satisfying. God's saying, I am God. I'm where you find your hope. 
And so what does God do? God will at times then press in with hardship. God's saying to Pharaoh, listen, I could have wiped you out completely, but in my mercy, I'm trying to draw you. So God will use good things, blessings to draw our hearts. Romans 2, 4 says the, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. God uses good things and blessings, but hardship has the same effect. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul in, first, or in 2 Corinthians 1, 9, where he was in a place where he thought he was going to die. He's suffering so greatly. And what did he say? He said, God, I'm okay with this suffering because you're, you're letting me rely not on myself, but on you, the one who raises from the dead. He saw how God was using hardship. So in other words, listen, listen, blessing or struggles, they're all meant to turn us towards God. And we either humbly release the things we're holding on to and experience God's grace, experience brokenness before God, or we stay proud and grow bitter. But as we end off here, brokenness, listen, brokenness is the starting point. That's where we begin. We begin in this place where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, when you come to that place of being broken, he also said that we should come to him like a helpless child. Unless we come that way, like a kid who has nothing, he goes, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven. So brokenness and helplessness is actually the place where we begin this relation with God, where, where we say, you are God, I'm not. And when we resist this, when we fight this, we miss it. We miss the kingdom. It's, it's those who are humble. They receive the kingdom. Pharaoh instead becomes more and more proud, more and more stubborn, then more and more isolated. Why? Why would Pharaoh do that? I would say this, because brokenness and humility are scary. Why? It means giving up control. For Pharaoh to actually come to a place of humility and brokenness, he would have to say, you're God, and I'm not. It means you have to come to an end of yourself. But that scary place of coming to that position of total humility and brokenness, listen, that's where you experience the grace of God. That's where you see Jesus the clearest. I, mean, I think I can say this confidently this morning that, that, that everybody here in this room, God would be looking to get your attention and my attention. He's doing it every day. Maybe today is the day you're listening. Maybe today is the day where God finally gets your attention. If you don't know Christ, this is where it starts. That maybe today is a day where you, you truly humble yourself before God, where you start in that place saying, Lord God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that all the stuff I've been trying to do to make myself right with you, none of it works, and I'm wore out from trying to create my own peace in my life. And in faith, you step up before God and say, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I need you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. You're God. I'm not. And you begin that journey with God, rescued and redeemed. Listen, if you are a Christ follower today, today can be the day where you said, Lord, I've drifted, I've wandered, and by your grace, you've made it hard. This has not been easy to run from you because you're a God of grace. And you've pressed in on me, and I'm so grateful for that. And this morning, you could say, I'm coming back today. You're God. I'm not.
How can we do this? How can we come to this place where we can actually come before a holy, righteous God, a God that said, if I gave you what you deserved, you would be done for. Why? I love in the text, it says that this darkness fell on Egypt for three days. That should make us think about something. That for three days, Christ was in the tomb. That Jesus Christ on the cross, what did he do? He stepped in to be Pharaoh for us. He took the plagues. He took the wrath. He took the judgment of God. Pharaoh steps, Jesus, sorry, steps in as Pharaoh three days in darkness. Why? So that we could be Israel. So that we could be redeemed. So that we could be the ones who are rescued. We could be set free. And that freedom comes as we respond to this humbled and turning to Jesus as our only hope. Would you stand with me as I pray as the worship team comes up? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy. Sometimes we see it as a severe mercy because you press in on us, Lord, that you would actually chase us down, that you'd actually pursue our hearts. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that if there are those here that are, are feeling the weight of your hand on them, God, this morning, God, rather than bowing up in pride, God, that this would be a morning of humility. Rather than blowing up in pride that leads to bitterness, that the bitterness could be laid down, the anger could be set aside, the isolation could be dropped, and, and, and in brokenness and humility could experience your grace. And in knowing that, God, I'm running back to you. In humility, I'm coming back to that truth. I'm not God, you are. And I've been living like I am. I've been, your voice has been so clear, I've been ignoring it and excusing it, but God, today, today I'm coming back to you. I'm listening today. I need you. You are God. I am not. You're most glorious. You're worthy of my praise. The only one worthy. God, would you change me today? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.